When you hear the word home, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? Do you think walls? Do you think doors? Do you think carpeting, chairs, a roof? Do you think condo, pool in the backyard, that kind of stuff? Or maybe when you heard the word home, you thought of things like family. You thought of your wife, your husband, your kids. You thought of your mom and dad and the talks you had around the kitchen table. You thought of the meals and the conversation and the laughs. You thought of the tears and the hard days as well as the good. You thought of the people, not the stuff. You thought of the love, not the walls. You thought of the dreams and support, not the bricks. That's really what home means to us, isn't it? It's not about some structure. It's about the people. It's about the family. It's about love. So, hey, question time. Think about your church. Is this church your home? Is this church to you just bricks and walls and chairs and songs and sermons, or is it your home? Is this the place where you come every week like you would a grocery store, like the bank or the library, or any other place that's part of the errand list, or is this church your home? For you, it's the place you come to worship Jesus Christ with others. For you, it's the place you're challenged to grow in the Lord. It's the place where you belong to a community of believers who know your name and who care for you. It's the place where you roll up your sleeves and do your part. It's the place you sacrifice and serve in to build up. It's the place you pour out love. It's your family. It's your home. church. How are we doing? Hey, good. Glad to see you. If you're here on campus, if you're online, uh, thanks for joining us as well. Question for you to get things started. Uh, Can you remember a powerful church service? Uh, Can you recall a time in your past, could be in in the distant past or in the near future, that was just a powerful church service? Uh, Maybe the band played a song that just really kind of rattled you to the core uh, maybe the preacher said something that you put in your phone or you made a mental note. And to this day, you could use that phrase. I heard a preacher say, all right, we, we have that kind of language. Is there a powerful church service that you can remember? And I know for me, this happened actually a couple of weeks ago. A lot of the powerful experiences I've had involve uh, music, involve worship. Not that I don't enjoy a good preacher. Don't get me wrong. But music just has a way of speaking to us. And I was leading the song, Evidence. And the chorus in that song says, I see the goodness of your mercy or your your love all over my life. And and as I'm singing that, I look out and my wife and my kids are standing there singing back to me. And it was just this beautiful moment of, that's the evidence of his goodness that he's given me in my life. And I was messed up on the inside. I held it together on the outside. But that was just a powerful moment. I don't think that I'll forget that. For you, can you think of a powerful experience you've had in church? Maybe to prime the pump a little bit, uh, I polled our staff and asked them some uh, the same question. So here's some of their answers. Uh, Karen, who is our preschool director, uh, said that she visited China once. 
and she attended a meeting. She put that in quotations because in China you cannot openly gather as we are doing right now. And so they were in a kind of a secretive meeting. And she said people were speaking Korean and Russian and English and Chinese all at the same time. And she said it was so beautiful because I know God understood it all simultaneously. What a powerful experience. Brian, our outreach pastor, said a powerful experience for him was their first Sunday back after finding out about Stephanie's cancer diagnosis. He said the hugs we received when we came through the doors were beautiful. He said we sang the song, Yes, I Will. And he said it was the first time I really wanted to sing and physically couldn't because my emotions had taken over me. He said all the hugs and the music, everything, all the words spoken, he said, met us right where we were. Uh, Elaine, our business administrator, said that a powerful experience for her was worshiping with 300, over 300 Christian lawyers at a, a legal conference. And I like how she summarized, she said, it was great to know that Christian lawyer is not an oxymoron. I love how she described that. Uh, one more powerful experience that's maybe a little humorous. Uh, JC, who was just singing, he's our executive pastor. He said he remembered one service in the old building where he had to tell a dude in the balcony that he couldn't smoke. Right? Just a different era. It was a different era. We're talking the 80s when, you know, that's what everybody did. So those are all powerful moments. What is a powerful moment or experience that you've had? Are you recalling those uh, maybe for some of us, you think back to the Billy Graham Crusades of old, right? Where the thousands of people filled these arenas. Raise your hand if you ever went to one of the Crusades, right? He, he had one in Louisville. And I remember as a kid going to Cardinal Stadium and just the experience of being with thousands of believers as they sang and listening to the words of maybe the greatest evangelist of our lifetime. Maybe that was one of your experiences. For some of you, maybe you're wired up a little differently. Maybe it was a night of worship more of an intimate kind of pulled back setting where you were able to just be real vulnerable and, and just kind of cry out to God. Or we all have these powerful experiences because when we experience Jesus, we're moved. When we experience Jesus, we are changed. And so I'm wondering if you are thinking of some of those past experiences. You know, we have a story in the Bible that records a pretty powerful church service. It's actually called the Day of Pentecost. And maybe you've read, we don't have pictures because cameras didn't exist, uh, but maybe you've read about the day of Pentecost. We find it in Acts chapter two, and it's probably their first recorded church service. And I'll kind of recap it for you in case you're not familiar with that story. It was about 50 days after Jesus had went back into heaven. He had been crucified. He came back and he spent some time with his disciples doing some additional training. And then he went back to heaven. And 50 days later, the disciples are in Jerusalem and, and they're gathered together. And I have to imagine that they're probably grieving. They're probably asking a lot of questions like what in the world is getting ready to happen? We just devoted three years of our lives to this guy and now he's gone. He said good things were coming, but we're, it's been 50 days. How much longer do we have to wait? And so in that moment, that's where they're gathered. It says that the room was filled with fire and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the breath of of God, and they were filled with such courage and inspiration that they actually began to speak other languages. It says that they began to speak languages, and the people in the city could understand what they were saying. And so these ordinary men, who were once fishermen, are now speaking foreign languages, telling about Christ's love. And at the end of that day, 3,000 people were baptized. I don't know about you, but that's a preacher's dream. 
Uh, Peter stands up, gives his first recorded sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. That's a pretty good day. That's a pretty powerful church experience when 3,000 people come to know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And it's recorded in Acts 2. But, you know, in thinking about that, there's something I want to focus on this morning. Because you read that story and you're like, wow, that's powerful. But what did they do the next day? What did they do the next morning? What did you do the day after those powerful experiences you had in church? Or you can recall easily those big moments, but what did you do the day after? Uh, We know this feeling that we get when we experience something really good and then we go back to normal. We experience this after we go on vacations, don't we? Or you, you you plan a trip, you go on a vacation, and then you get back and bam, Monday morning hits and what? Ah, great, real life. And what do you immediately start doing? Planning your next vacation because you wanna get back to that experience. You wanna feel that again. And so we bounce our life from high to high looking for these big moments, these big experiences that will fill us up. Uh, If you grew up going to church camp, raise your hand if you ever went to church camp as a youngster. Do you know this feeling spiritually? You go to church camp and you spend a whole week praising Jesus and, and great things happen. You come back Monday morning, bam, and you're back in school. And you realize, I want to I wanna go back to where I was. I want to experience that again. It's not uncommon for us to experience these things. But this morning, I want to focus on what we do with our in-between time. What do we do with our time in-between? Because that's probably pretty important. Yes, This amazing experience happened to the first Christians. And we have these amazing church experiences. But maybe we put this in a little more context. What do you do in between Sunday morning services? You know, in our context today, Sunday mornings are typically our big gatherings where we all come together and we have these powerful moments where we're expressing our love for Jesus together. And having a room full of people just, it creates energy. And that's a beautiful thing, but I wonder what we do the day after. What will we do tomorrow morning? And so I actually want to pick up in our story in Acts. The day after Pentecost, after 3,000 people are saved, what did they do? What did they do the very next day? We find that in Acts 2.42. So here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, they did a lot of stuff. It says that they devoted, they studied, they prayed, they ate together. But did you catch how they did it? The context in which they did these things. We're gonna pull this verse back up and I want you to look at the emphasized words as we go through. You ready? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together. Are you, are you noticing a pattern, right? In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, right? They did a lot of things, but they seemed to do it together as a group. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you some statements and I need your help with this. I want you to finish my sentence with this word, the word together. Are we ready? It said in the scripture says, when they went to the temple courts and listened to the teaching, they did it together. Uh, When they fellowshiped, they did it together. Uh, When they broke bread, which in this context is not necessarily talking about communion. It's more about sharing a meal with one another. When they did that, they did it together. Uh, When they studied, they did it. When they prayed, they did it. And last one, when they served, they did it together. Right? I think that's significant, right? Luke was a historian. He's, he's chronicling the history of the early church after the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And what does he record? He says, they did some things together. It's kind of like Legos. This is actually a Lego container, not a tackle box, okay? If you're a parent, this is a good way to organize all those Legos, right? You've got, you've got Legos, right? I hear some groans. There's some parents who are like, ugh, right? Legos are awesome until you start walking on them barefoot in the middle of the night. Legos are great, but what good are they scattered? The purpose of a Lego is to connect with another Lego. Legos are useless in this sort of context. Yes, I mean, this is great. This can be used for something, but it says that they collected themselves. They came together. Legos are great when you put them together because something beautiful can be built. What Luke does not record is that the the first Christians, those 3,000 people, didn't scatter themselves and live isolated lives alone, me and Jesus. No, they gathered together. And I don't mean that they gathered in like holy huddles. I'm not talking about where you get together with some of your Christian friends at the exclusion of others. No, they gathered together so that they could witness to others. When they were together, it was more powerful. They could express their love for Jesus better, right? Just like Legos are meant to be put together, so are we. The Bible actually uses other metaphors like the body, that we're all members of one body and we all have different parts, but we are unified. One of Jesus's last prayers in the garden is that his church would be known for their unity. And so we are meant to be together. You see, it's hard to divorce the church and community because the church is a community. Sometimes in our minds, and our psyche, I think we like to separate these two concepts. I can go to church and then community's this other thing. But that's not what we see in the first church. That's not what we see the first Christians doing. After they experienced this powerful thing, it says that they came together, right? They came together. And so I need to ask you a question. If you are not part, if you're not in a community of believers, can you truly say you're a part of the church? And and I'm gonna let that sit for a minute. I know that's not a very comfortable question, but if you're not a part of a community of believers, can we really say that we're a part of the church? 
And, and I know that there are situations that make this difficult, right? We know lately that people have to get quarantined and isolated, and so that makes community difficult. There are believers in prison that can't gather openly. There are people who live in countries where they, they can't gather openly like this. But those are the exceptions, not the norm. The norm is that the church is a community. And, and I know that this can be a little tough for us uh, because the context of our lives is a little different than the first believers, right? It says that they gathered together in the temple courts and they did those things. And, and so their context is a little different because we live we live in America. We live in a land of opportunity, right? We live in a place where an individual can do a lot of things on their own. We have these phrases that we've learned and we've all grown up with. In America, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can go from rags to riches. You can go from zero to hero. You can, you can go from nothing to something. And that is true. We live in a place that has been designed that way that you can, through really hard work, achieve a lot of things. We call that rugged individualism. This idea that through my own sheer hard work and determination, I can make myself into something. And our history books are full of stories of men throughout our history who have done that. In fact, when I was teaching, one of my favorite documentaries to show was The Men Who Built America. And it was this documentary that chronicles the story of Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan and Henry Ford and these, these brilliant men that, that built America. And they built it not through their cooperation, but through their sheer determination and competition to destroy the other person. And so we struggle because in our context, we live at the intersection of individualism and community. We want to be really strong individuals that accomplish a lot in our lives, but we know intuitively that we need others to do it. And so we live in this tension of wanting to be individuals, but knowing that we need others. And, and I wonder maybe if sometimes we can carry that rugged individualism into our faith life. I wonder if sometimes the way we think about our faith is shaped not by what the Bible says, but how our culture is designed. It, it kind of flows like this. I, I can follow Jesus without going to church. Uh, I don't need church. I can find God in nature. I don't need to go to church. I can read more of the Bible. I have an app on my phone. I can get a daily notification. I can read the Bible all on my own. I can give to charitable causes, which is great because I can get a tax right off. I can attend Christmas and Easter. I can do this and I can do that. I can work hard and I can be a good Christian. I mean, after all, my faith is between me and God, isn't it? I mean, we call it a personal relationship. It's almost as if we've designed this way that we can be Christians scattered from one another and that be a good thing. But I think Paul warns against this sort of individualistic thinking in Ephesians when he says, God saved you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I don't know that we can live the full Christian life and experience everything that God wants us to experience if we're scattered and living isolated in individual lives. We're meant to be put together and to become something 
beautiful. And so maybe if you've been living your, your faith life like that, I would encourage you to maybe shift your perspective and to see yourself not as one scattered piece, but part of something that God is building. Maybe put yourself in connection with other people. Uh, let, me, let me give a practical example. I can say I go to church, right? But I can also say I go to Walmart. In fact, sometimes I go to Walmart multiple times a week, and I always leave there with regret. But that's, that's an aside. I can say I go to church, but I can say I go to Walmart. But I don't think I can claim that I'm part of the Walmart community. No one, know, no one there knows who I am. They don't know my name. I guess if I started eating stuff out of the grocery aisle and praying with people, maybe I could become part of the Walmart community. But I wonder if maybe the church is like that. We can say that we go to church, but are we really part of the community that is the church? Maybe wrestle with that a little bit. Maybe we can show up on Sunday mornings or we can tune in online, but does that really mean that we're part of the community that is the church? You see, the community, the first church lived out their faith together. They lived it out together. And so uh, maybe to help us understand if we fully grasp the power of community, I want you to take out your phone. You have permission. You can take your phone out in church. It's okay. You're not breaking any any laws. You take your phone out in church. If you've got a notepad, that's fine too. If you're online, you can just type it in the chat if you want. I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I want you to answer them honestly. I'm going to try not to step on these Legos. Last service, I stepped on one and it shot out at somebody in the first row. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want you to answer honestly. Now, your spouse and your kids do not qualify as answers. They're always with you, so that's cheating. So I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you to put some names in there. Are we ready? All right, question number one. Who do you study with? Who do you study with? Who do you open the Bible with and read scripture with? Who do you study God's word with and ask questions, encourage one another, and sharpen one another, as it says in Proverbs? Who do you study with? Type their name. Somebody from this church. Who do you study with? The next question. Who do you break bread with? And I don't necessarily mean this as communion. I mean sharing a meal with. Who have you eaten with from this church recently? Who have you sat down and had a meal with? Maybe you got coffee or you went to a restaurant or you had them over to your home. Who do you break bread with? Next question, who do you serve with? Whose names could you write down and say, I serve with that person. I'm in the nursery and we, we take care of the kiddos together or, or we go out and we do this or that together. Who do you serve with? Next one, uh, whose home do you visit? Uh, who in this church, could you go to their home blindfolded and find your way to the bathroom? Maybe that's awkward. Uh, who could you, whose house could you go into blindfolded and find the coffee mugs? Because you've been there so often, you know that you're welcome to grab a cup and get some coffee. Whose home do you visit? And lastly, who would know if you didn't show up for church for the next month? Who in this church would know if you didn't show up at church, either in, on campus or online, for the next month? Who would know? Could you put their name down? You know, I think if you're answering those questions with some relative ease, I think that's good evidence that you have, have worked hard to grasp hold of the community that is 
the church. But I also think if you're struggling a little bit to come up with genuine answers for that, maybe you've just not yet grabbed hold and be really become part of the church community here. And that's important. That's what we see the first Christians doing, right? They gathered together. They did things together. And, and I want to be clear. I don't want to paint this beautiful, rosy picture of, of Christian community because it can get messy, right? 3,000 people came to know Jesus, and that became the first church. The first church was a mega church. 3,000 people speaking different languages. These were the, some of the same people who cried out to murder Jesus, and now they're saying that they follow Jesus. You think there was some conflict? Maybe some personalities rubbing together, right? When, when people come together, when people gather, there will be personality conflicts. Uh, feelings will get hurt from time to time. This will be a place, yes, of great unity, but there, there will be hard times. There will be hurt feelings. Uh, you'll have to deal with people that you don't necessarily want to deal with. I know people can be awkward, and I know if you're an introvert listening to this, you're cringing. Because you're like, you want me to go to somebody's house blindfold and use the bathroom. That's weird. I get that. And you're going to run into an extrovert like me who's going to talk his head off and you just wish he'd be quiet. Those things are going to happen. Occasionally, you will have to cook a meal and clean your home. And it's okay. Shove it all in the closet, close the door, and just don't direct anybody in that direction. Right? That's, that's what every good parent does. Right? You will encounter difficult situations. You may have to attend a funeral with someone who is burying a loved one. You may have to visit the hospital from time to time. Or you may have to say hard things to people that you love. These things are going to happen when we come together as a community. You will have to give up some time and money. But I truly believe, and in fact, I know that these things are worth it. I've experienced all of those things myself. But they're worth it. And they're worth it because of Luke said what happened when these people did this. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't gather together for the sake of doing that for themselves. They did it so that they could be a witness to the other people living around them. The purpose of community is not necessarily for me and you. It's for other people to find and follow Jesus. And so we've got to make sure that we are connected into this community. After all, right, Jesus didn't give his great commission to an individual. He gave it to a group of men. He said, hey, guys, go and do this, and then you teach other people to do it. And as a result, more and more people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. And I wonder if we truly did what they did, might we experience the same results? If we do what the first church did, the early Christians did, gathering together, I wonder if we might experience the same results. I wonder if we did what they did, if we gathered together here regularly, and if we met in each other's homes, and we studied, and we prayed, and we had meals, and we fellowshiped, if we did those things, I wonder if more people would come to know Christ. If more people could be forgiven of their sins and set free and live a life on mission and on purpose now and for eternity with Jesus. I don't know about you, but that excites me. The possibility that our community could help others find and follow Jesus. Now, that's a beautiful picture that we see right here in the early church. And, and I know that I'm kind of painting this picture right now, but let me, let me make it very practical for you. So, yes, I get that. We should be together. But how do I do that here? What do I need to do? Step one, 
Commit to being here every week. Commit to being on, in Sunday morning service every week, whether you're in person or if you're online. Online is a great tool now. Church can go anywhere. In fact, we call it church anywhere. Or you can invite a neighbor very easily to come over and watch church with you on a Sunday morning. Commit to being in service every Sunday. The, the scripture says that they met together in the temple courts. Our version of that in our context is gathering here in this place together to worship Jesus. So commit to being here every week. Uh, step two, get in a group. It says that they met together in the temple courts and then they met from home to home. And home is where they tended to study and break bread and pray. And so small groups are just our attempt to try and do what the early Christians did, to gather together intentionally to study and pray and break bread. So get into a group. There's multiple ways you can do it. The very easy step is to come tonight to group build. Uh, we're just going to get together. It's kind of like speed dating for groups. And so we'll all show up and we'll see what happens. I'm sure the spirit will work it out. And we'll get together. We'll figure out how to get you into a group of people so that you can study and serve and worship together. You can actually click the button on your digital link you got today that says groups. You can sign up for group build that way. Or you, there's some other options of ways to get into groups. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that off. I'd make that happen. That's an important part of getting connected into a community. And step three, serve. Step three is to serve. Right? It says that they met together in the temple courts, what we're doing now. They met from home to home. That's the small group model. And then they sold possessions and gave to anyone who had needs. Serve. Find a place to serve in this church or outside the church. And it'd be great if you could do it with your group. So find a place to serve. You can do that very easily. Just click the serve button on your digital link and it'll give you options. And so I think, I really do believe if we could do those three things, there's more to it, but if we're gonna boil it down, do what the early church did, maybe we could experience the same results. And maybe, maybe we could become an awesome community of believers who are inspired by grace, who are inspired by the grace that was given to us, not for anything that we have done, but because of the goodness of God, that he sacrificed his son to forgive us of our sins so that we could live a life of purpose, an abundant life, and that we could live life eternally with the Father, that we would be inspired by that grace. And that because of that grace, that we would be compelled then to go out and share that truth with other people. That we would go to our coworkers or our neighbors or our family members and say, hey, this is gonna be awkward, but I gotta tell you about Jesus and I wanna invite you to my church. That we would be compelled to share the truth and that we would share the gospel with anybody that we came in contact with. That we would share the gospel with a world that is in desperate need of the hope that Jesus provides. I wonder if we could commit to being here every week, if we could gather together, and if we could serve together, might more people come to know the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And, and I hope when we come to the end of our days as a community together, I hope it's written of us what was written of the first church. Let's read this. OCC devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. OCC sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day, OCC gathered together in the temple courts 
Every day, OCC continued to meet together in the temple courts. OCC broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to OCC's number daily those who were being saved. Not so that our church could grow, but that so more people could come to know Jesus. I hope that is what is said of us when we reach our time at the end of our community. Because when the church does something, they do it together. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to gather together in this place to worship you, to sing, to listen to your word. Thank you for that freedom. There are places where there's there's no freedom to do those things. And so we thank you that we have that. Thank you that we have the freedom to meet in each other's homes, that we can share meals and we can study your word openly without fear. Help us not to take that for granted, but to actually exercise our freedom in you. So God, may this be a church that is a community. May we be a a group of people who come together regularly here and in our homes for the purpose of serving you and helping others find and follow you. May we be together in this mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.